Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast, The Ins and Outs of Selling a Business. Uh, today, we're going to continue our conversation uh, about that dreaded four-letter word, exit. And we are really excited to bring back uh, Richard Austin. Hi, Rich. How are you? Hey, Keith. How are you doing? I appreciate you coming back. I know you have a lot in your plate uh, handling uh, your clientele throughout the country. Uh, Rich is a executive director with uh, Integrated Partners. They are a registered, independent registered investment advisory firm. They have a national footprint, over 200 advisors, um, and they're managed just north of $16 billion in assets, and the company's been around since 1996. So, Rich, last excuse me, last uh, episode, we talked a lot about the planning process, and we kind of introduced a little bit about continu- continuality type of uh, uh, planning as well with the, with the family or, or closely held companies. And you know, there's a lot to unpack, right? So I thought today that we can talk a little bit about you know, some case studies, some strategies that you guys specifically use. Uh, I know, you know some of these things may seem dry to our audience, but the fact is we like to eliminate surprises. And one of the big, biggest surprises is tax implications. We always ask before we take a client on, have you talked to your wealth management firm like Integrated? Have you talked to your accountant about tax implications? Um, possibly an estate trust attorney about strategies put in place prior to selling your business that are that things that you look to do that take care of your family or charitable giving? And some people have, but most have not, right? So we look to, so that you should... Start those conversations now. We have plenty of time before we sell. Typically, the initial meeting of a client, if they sign that day, it's nine months to a year. Sometimes, usually by the time of our first meeting, it's another couple months before they sign up so they can start getting their house in order if they haven't. So from your perspective, the number one thing that our clients always focus on is taxes. What's it going to cost me, right? And some have, you know, CPA firms they use are just are good firms, but they're not really specialized in this aspect of it. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how you guys approach that because it's critical. Yeah. So thanks, Keith. So yeah. So last podcast was a focus on a four-letter word, right? Exit. So this one's a focus on a three-letter three-letter word, tax, which you know can be pretty detrimental, you know, to a client whether you're talking about an income or a C tax. And I think to kind of step back and kind of you know. I mean, look at his example, how we work together. And, you know, and that's a good example of, you know, when you're working with a business owner, it's a team, it's a group working for their benefit. No one is a specialist in everything. At Integrated, our, you know, business owner solutions team has decades of experience in working with business owners and in, 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 in bringing together the wealth management side with from the tax planning, you know, with the 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 business ex- succession and exit planning. So, and what I mean by that is kind of, you know, looking at every aspect of a complex client's life, like a business owner, um, and looking at knowing the entire financial picture and understanding their goals, and then stepping back and saying, okay you know, you might not exit for a year, five years, 10 years. You don't even know when your exit is going to be. You know, we know that, you know, looking at, you know, your assets, 
there's probably some transfer opportunities or maybe a restructure, you know, of the business for some tax savings. And I don't, a lot of times it's not, is it's, it's like, you'll, it's, it's about being proactive with a business owner. And I think other advisors don't have the perspective. If they have the perspective from a financial wealth management side that we can have, because in order to make a decision or propose a strategy to a business owner, you really have to know their entire financial situation and their objectives. And I think that other firms, like most, not all law firms and accounting firms, they're not built to kind of, you know, to really understand that whole financial picture. So it really puts us into a position to identify opportunities. But then most importantly, it's to work together with the team to collaborate, to bring the right result, you know, uh, the best result, you know, to the client. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a number number of advisors um, that are assembled you know, as part of the team. Uh, and I think, right, some of the, some of the, you know, some of the accounting firms are extremely busy. So they're really compliance oriented, right? They're making sure your taxes are done, making sure you're filing this, making sure you get your financials done. Uh, um, and then they kind of used to do all the 5,500s and forms for your pension and your 401k plans, but that's now specialized with, with consultants to do that. And so someone who take a, take a, you know, take a, broader view of your picture, like integrated in this case, say, okay, what's your ultimate goal, right? And it could, it's just, like you said, it's one business owner. It could be multiple. It could be three, three people, three owners, four owners, two different families, but it's not like just a family, right? It's not like the two brothers or brother or sister. It's their kids, right? And their kids, and it kind of like trees out and, in most cases, you run into and you'll see the same name, you know, in the organizational chart at some position, and whether or not they're interested in staying with the business, whether what they anticipate, you know, that to, that to me can be uh, create a very complex situation when you're getting when you're starting to sell because all of a sudden, you and I decide, okay, we're going to sell, but then all of a sudden the family members like, what? What does that mean for me? And so how do you kind of address that? It's very complicated, I know. And But communication is key, right? I mean, transparency, letting them know. I mean, I know clients will hold everything to the vest and at the end, and it could cause issues when you're ready to sell because your son or daughter could be a key employee and they could get, let's say, hot about it, emotion, emotional about it. And... And if the buyer sees that internal strife, you know, among the team, they're going to get concerned and they're going to be a little skeptical about, do I really want to do this deal or do I want to do it this price? So it all plays together. So, uh, you know, I'd love to hear maybe how situations where you may have run into or uh, and, you know, address these kind of challenges. Yeah. So, um, you know, challenge. So with a business where there's, you know, key employees that are also family members, maybe they don't have, you know, a piece of the equity or maybe it's a small piece of the equity, you know, in the company, they're tied to that company. They've built their career. When there's a change in control, there's a lot of emotions and, you know, and there has to be conversations, 
you know, with the entire family, but really the one in the one in control is the majority majority owner, the um patriarch matriarch of the family, whoever started the business. <laughs> and kind of like understanding what the top value is you can get for that business. Maybe there's um, you know, minute mitigating the tax impact, you know, on the sale. We'll talk about some of those strategies. Um, but maybe there's an opportunity to kind of like transfer some wealth, you know, or some of the stock, you know, prior to um, prior to the sale to those children at a lower discounted value. Right. You know, maybe use a trust to kind of control the value. Right. Um, so using a legacy trust from a transfer, taking advantage of discounts, whether it's for lack of my, uh, minority interest or lack of marketability. And, um, and conservatively, those could be, you know, 20, 30%. Um, that's what I've seen, you know, but even higher than that. And um, and so there's just a different ways to um, to kind of go, go about it. But ultimately, it's stepping back to the goals of the um, of the business owner themselves uh, and, you know, the senior generation and kind of like understanding is the, it might be a great time in the market to tra- transfer the um the business maybe the maybe there's there needs to be an understanding at the next generation maybe they're not built to kind of take this business to the next level maybe like we had talked about before maybe there's some rollover equity that the children receive you know in the new business where they're kind of involved and you can always protect a key employee by putting some employment agreements in place right. you know as part of the um the sale transaction um, but I think when you step back and you look at the the tax impact on a transfer or sale, and you want to mitigate that. It really focuses down into um, income tax, you know, estate tax, and charitable giving. And here we just kind of start talked about like you know using discounts, making a transfer or to a trust or to the children from an estate tax standpoint. Um, there also could be some income tax planning there, you know, with, um, let me, let me take an example with, uh, a widely used tech technique, especially, um, in, I've used it a lot in, uh, the state of Massachusetts, you know, with clients, um, in New York, it's not available. So there's an incomplete gift trust. So let me break that down for a second. Cause it just sounds like, what is that? Right. Right. Uh, so, exactly. you know, so when a client wants to save taxes on a transaction, you know, one of the one of the tools in our toolbox is going to say, OK, what if we used a trust? But it's not your typical trust. What if we use one where you and your spouse and you, 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 know, you can be beneficiaries of that trust? But maybe you're not going to access those assets for, you know, a period of time, a year, two years, five years, set up that that that's really the importance of setting up the plan, right? Having different, you know, strategic portfolios and assets, you know, of where assets are going to be pulled from in five to 10 year increments and managing those portfolios in that way. So if prior to the sale of a company, part of the stock is put into this incomplete gift trust where it's incomplete because it's an irrevocable trust. But it's incomplete because the um, the 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 one who's transferring the gift into the trust is is a beneficiary of, of, of that trust. So you can't do that in every state. Some states have laws that restrict you from putting that in place. Massachusetts, you can accomplish that. We're putting one in place for a business owner down in the state of Kentucky. There's only a handful of states that you can't do it off the top of my head. I know New York and California. Um, you cannot do it. They have legislation that uh, restricts it. 
But when you put this into place, you use a trustee in an asset protection state, such as New Hampshire or Delaware. And that trustee oversees like the oversees the trust. And there's a distribution committee, you know, that's put into place. And we can go into more of these details, but I don't think it's necessary for today's call. But the ultimate result of using an incomplete gift trust is, you know, I've done it with companies that are structured as C corporations and done at the right time before a sale, you can save the state income tax, you know, on the sale of the business. So let me give, let me quantify that example for you. So I had a, we had a client who sold their business for $40 million. They decided to take $10 million of the, of that C-Corp interest. And the client was hundred percent stakeholder owner of the business started from scratch in the nineties. Um, and but for this the and before I go any further, section twelve oh two, the qualified small business stock right. exclusion for excluding the gain didn't apply to them because of how the company was originally capitalized. So we looked at that first. So here we're okay, there's an opportunity to save state income tax. In the state of Massachusetts, state income tax is five percent, but they also have what's called a millionaire's tax that they enacted. So that millionaire's tax is another four percent. So let's make the math. So the math, so nine percent on ten million is nine hundred thousand dollars. Just putting this one technique in place, this is one of many different techniques that are available. We were able to save the client nine hundred thousand dollars in income taxes, you know, at the time of sale. You know, it's interesting, um, you know, the tax planning aspect can be uh, daunting and uh, um, very complex and business owners are like, they're really focused on income tax, right? I mean, I have literally have a couple of clients over the last couple of years that we sold where we had a dynamic spreadsheet. So as the bids came in, right, we, we get multiple bids and letters of intent uh, per deal. They would plug it into the spreadsheet <laughs> to see what their income tax effect would be yeah right you know and uh so every time we we negotiated uh, whether it's uh uh increasing the purchase price or uh, buying the fixed assets at a reduced value not not step up you know so ordinary versus capital gains they would plug into the spreadsheet and say okay it's going to cost me x so my net's worth and they yeah. always look at the net right i love I, I love when they do that yeah yeah because yeah, because we don't want any surprise but there's a whole realm of planning tools with, you know, approved IRS, we'll call approved trust that you can utilize to kind of preempt some of this stuff that is already taken care of. Like you said, I mean, we, we had a deal we closed last year on December 31st in Massachusetts, and it had a close on December 31st because of the millionaire's tax, right? So... And the big question was, I mean, big question was, well, how am I going to get the paycheck out, you know, and cap prior to my, 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 who was my payroll processing company couldn't do it quick enough. So I said, yeah. just write it manually, right? Write it manually. <laughs> it not have to, it's just, just during your process, write it manually, deposit it and give them the information because, yeah. and they'll, and they'll, and they'll put it in the W-2s because it was, you could write the check. It doesn't have to be through your payroll company because it's coming out of the same purse, right? So, but it was like, it was a huge deal. If we don't get this done by December 31st, we may not close all over. Yeah. Well, there was five people, you know, all, it was probably about $2 million of additional tax to yeah. the ownership group. And they're like, wait a second. But a lot of that can be mitigated through proper 
tax planning and utilization of various trusts. So, yeah. you know, so you work a lot with your with your client base. I mean, you in all over the country, your, your advisors are calling calling you and your team. Hey, we got the situation. How can you help us? You know, what what would you say some key takeaways about integrated is um, and yourself and your group um, that you want to share with our audience? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're I I I mean, selfishly, I think we're unique in the industry where. Um, you know, myself, for example, you know, being, you know, an attorney with a master's in tax law, um, and then our other team members, you know, credentialed, you know, having resources, you know, in dedicated groups, like, you know, co with complex clients, like high net worth, family office services, business owner, where my group leads those conversations with those complex clients nationally, you know, with our advisors, so it allows them to be really good at what they do on the wealth management side, but then provide those resources and collaborate with um, CPAs and attorneys. Uh, you know, I had an attorney called me the other day from, you know, uh, you know, out, out West and, you know, w working with one of our clients and had a design strategy that they wanted to use, um, you know, with a client and it involved you know, the use of life insurance. And it was a generational type play with split dollar. And, uh, and we talked about it and this, and, you know, we both go to a tax conference every year down in, you know, Orlando, I've been going for over 20 years and you get to know the right players in the industry and what strategies are available. And none of these strategies are pushing the button. I, I think like our firm and the strategies that we propose, they're conservative. I'm not looking to have our clients be audited. I'm not looking for our clients to, and if they are audited, they're going to win the audit. Um, and these are conservative techniques that are basically codified techniques that are available through the tax code. It's just using the tools that are available, you know, for you and being proactive, you know, in on the tax planning piece. And so that that being said. You know whether you're looking to accomplish like uh, uh, income tax strategies or estate tax, it's about understanding the whole financial picture, doing some work beforehand, bringing the team in, you know, talking about it. I'll get, I'll give it, I'll get, it, I'll go micro for a second and give another example. So we had a client who was um, wanted to at the sale of his business, you know, wanted to um, give five million dollars to charity. So, and we have a great relationship with our, we're multi-platform, you know, uh, Fidelity and uh, Schwab and other platforms where, you know, we can utilize their charitable resources and they have great teams in place. And so one of the issues sometimes with doing charitable planning prior to the sale of a business, and you can attest to this, Keith, is that a business owner doesn't want to give away their stock to charity and you have to do it before the sale before the sale is actually right. you know you know going to complete or is you know is you have, you have to do it before it kind of gets to that point where the IRS is going to be like no it was it was definitely going to go through you can't get a tax deduction so there has to be some risk on the table right so sometimes using a donor advised fund you know um for charitable purposes is hard to complete before a sale because you don't have enough time because the donor advice fund has to do their due diligence. Our team came up with a really creative strategy. Um, and I, over, over the years, I, first time I used it was a couple of years ago. I've used it with a few clients is we used the charitable remainder trust. 
which is not anything new, right? But a charitable remainder trust usually set it up to smooth the income from a sale over a period of time. So you basically have the client takes back some income, but they take it back over time. So they're taxed at hopefully like a lower tax bracket over time, or maybe they move to a lower or no state income tax state. So setting it up for like a 20 year period, lifetime, but what if you used a charitable remainder trust for like a one or two year period? What it does is it, you know, we set it up for two years um, and if the client was able to get 90% of the tax deduction, but here was the game changer. The client is also the trustee of the trust charitable remainder trust. We didn't have to go through all the hoops of due diligence with the donor advice fund. We were able to put into place, you know, a, you know, uh, 60 days before the sales transaction was complete. And it was a win-win overall from charity's perspective and from the client's perspective. And they loved it. Uh, Richard Austin, integrated partners. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, again, my name is Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. Osage Advisors is an investment bank working with family close-sale businesses looking to sell. Typically, our clients have um, upwards of $5 million uh, to $150 million of, of sales. To learn more about Osage Advisors, you can visit our website at uh, osageadvisors.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to subscribe at our YouTube channel, The Ins and Outs of Selling a Business. You can email me with any questions at kdee at osageadvisors.com or feel free to give me a call at 860-767-3273, extension 1001. Thanks again and have a great day.